Welcome back, everyone. This is the Fitness Reborn podcast. I'm your host, Sean. And my guest today is Chad Price. Chad is an entrepreneur, a fitness expert, a business owner, and is now a published author. Just released his book, Preparing for Battle, about uh, the rigors of business, how to succeed in life, and about fitness and mindset and all that good stuff. Chad Price, thanks for coming on, man. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, not a problem, not a problem. So you have a very uh, wide-ranging background here. So I say business owner, but it really only kind of skims the surface here. Uh, you started with one business, and now and then you pivoted to a completely different one, it seems, uh, just within the last few years or so. So you started, you co-founded Kettlebell Kings, and then you started another one in 2019, uh, Life Grows Green, which is a hemp business, is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm probably, you know, some people say like a serial entrepreneur, right. you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what the, the proper term is nowadays, but yeah, I've owned, I've owned several companies. Um, when I started Kettlebell Kings, I also started a nail salon at the same time. Uh, I knew Kettlebell Kings was going to take some time to build that online community and to try to create a name for itself. And like I said, a globally recognized name um, in that space. So uh, I had done my research and I saw that nail salons were pretty, um, cash flow positive early and once you got things started they they had some type of cash flow that i could work with so that was kind of one of my strategies into sustaining myself and during during that time period needed to grow kettlebell kings um and then with kettlebell kings we grew we grew that for 10 years but so during that time period about five years in we actually started another fitness company inside of that company or a sister company if you will um called living fit and so that was basically doing everything else besides kettlebell so you, you know you can think of kettlebell kings kind of staying in its niche and then living fit being a, a much larger larger kind of um, broader fitness company okay so with, with the idea of really getting kettlebell kings off the ground as kind of like the main thing you started to uh, smaller businesses to help kind of buttress that larger one. So the nail salon, I'm, I don't think I was aware of the nail salon one. Um, so I, I, I guess uh, I never done my research on nail salon. So I, I guess I, I don't know. I didn't know that there was kind of like a much easier cash flow opportunity on that end than it was in the fitness industry. But uh, now that I do know that, I'm going to start looking into it a little bit further. But uh, Kettlebell King, so that was the passion project here. And you said yeah, it was very niche as opposed to like the, what was it, the Living Fit one? Mm -hmm. And especially, well, especially the nail salon one, that's, that's, niche, that's niche as well. But um, Kettlebell Kings you found was uh, going to be, a, or you found was going to be a harder one to really get to, to take off. Well, I mean, I think, you know, with a nail salon, it's one of those things where if you're in a, you know, popular area, high traffic area, you can, as long as you're doing high quality work and you set up things to look nice and, you know, you're um, a lot of places, retail places will rent to, you know, let's say a nail salon, hair salon, a massage studio. Well, you're kind of already sharing a lot of clients and you have potential there just by kind of starting that process. Whereas when you're trying to build an online community, no one really knows who you are. So we never really wanted to have a physical space. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we started this out of a 10 by 10 public storage and, you know, uh, public storage right there. But when you're starting it like that, you know, you we know it's going to be an uphill climb. The first person to buy from us is just some random person who saw us advertising online or, you know, got one of our emails or, you know, it was just some kind of random coincidence versus like a nail salon 
I already know where my customers are going to be coming from really the, the first day that it opens. Um, not to mention my girlfriend was a very creative person and she got into nail art at the time. So I wasn't just doing kind of like a, any kind of nail salon. I was doing, let's say a high end nail salon, luxury nail salon, doing, you know, super creative nails in mm-hmm. a creative space like Austin. So it kind of all just worked out because of the resources I had as well. I talk about that in preparing for battle is, you know, I don't think everyone's circumstances are the same. So a nail salon right. for me might work, but that might not work for, for everyone. And I think kind of understanding and mapping out that part of it as well before you start your entrepreneurial journey is, mm-hmm. is, a, big, is a big part of it. So um, Kettlebell Kings, I mean, the 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 idea of it is built right into the, the name. It's Kettlebell, Kettlebell Workouts and the uh, Kettlebell Culture. Um, what drew you to that in particular here? Are you big into kettlebells? I mean, I know you have a background as an athlete, but did you find kettlebells to be very useful for yourself? Well, I mean, it, it was interesting for me after I, you know, I just stopped training competitively, if you will, and decided, you know, for the rest of my life, I need to have some type of physical fitness routine. And, you know, I want to stay in shape, but, you know, I'm not trying to go and, you know, max out on squat every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't really like going to gyms. I didn't really like going to like your, you know, your mainstream 24 hour fitness or goals gym. It felt more like a social scene, less, less like a workout. And, um, that led me to home workouts and looking for alternative tools that I can use in kind of minimal spaces and, uh, outdoor workouts and things like that. And kettlebells were just kind of becoming popular or or more popular, especially here in the States when we started in 2012, um, Rogue and CrossFit were just kind of getting together and putting kettlebells into their, uh, athletic competitions and things like that. So it was kind of just kind of a timing thing as well, where, for my personal life, I found kettlebells and I was like, oh, I really like this tool. Never used it before training competitively. And I can see all kind of the functional side of the benefits that it, that it gave me, even in, you know, some of the strength gains that I got from using it, having been a lot stronger than, you know, the average person training competitively my whole life. So um, I kind of fell in love with it from that point. And because I didn't know anything about it, I didn't really see any kind of lifestyle brands out there that were around the kettlebell. You know, there was no, let's say, urban or street brand uh, that was associated with kettlebells. And um, I could really just nerd out on kind of going on that journey myself and my mm-hmm. partners were happening to be on that same journey. So we, we, I mean, we loved it once we, we figured out, okay, this is it. We don't know much about it yet. It just became like, okay, well now we're kettlebell scientists. You know, we're, we're an R and D department for kettlebells and let's travel the world and, and figure out, you know, how we get the best kettlebell in the world to our customers. So you took like an ancient practice, which is kettlebells, you know, something that goes back. I think the, 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 the exact date or time in Russia is pretty vague. Um, but you know, it's basically, you know, an iron orb with a handle attached to, it, and it was used yeah. and it's been used by iron, uh, uh, by Russian strongmen a lot of times for workout practices. So you took an ancient practice and you put kind of a, a personality uh, attached to it and then built a, and built a following around that. Is that right? I, yeah, exactly. I mean, we see that as like a centerpiece for, you know, a health and wellness company mm-hmm. and, you know, more than just the kettlebell itself, we saw ourselves and see ourselves, I should say, as a, a content production company. So, um, you know, we want it to be the, the ESPN of the kettlebell world where everything mm. that's associated with this and all the information um, from, you know, tournaments and competitions to um, new types of kettlebells, like 
different uh, lifestyle types of products are associated with kettlebells. It, we really want to have kind of that kettlebell superstore and um, a kettlebell enthusiast playland almost, if you will. So once once we went down that road, it really it wasn't necessarily up to us what we're creating. We're we're creating the playland as the the community tells us how they how they want it and how they like it. And so um, when we started. You know, our original idea was that we we're going to resell kettlebells from other companies and we're going to have kind of this just huge superstore of kettlebells, mm-hmm. um, you know, importing them from wherever part of the world we can get them from. And as we went down that path of research and development, we realized like, hey, like the, the perfect product doesn't exist. So we have to make it. And that just continued to push us in the, in the right direction of really just doing what the community wanted. So, okay, so instead of being like a middleman, which is essentially what you started out thinking you were going to be, like a yeah. kind of a distributor, um, yeah. you did you did the research and then you found out, well, you know, the product itself is not all that great. And there's not a lot of, I guess, sexiness evolved with kettlebells. Um, because honestly, and I'll, I'll be perfectly frank here, I've not been a lot of, around a lot of gyms. Um I don't see them being used very heavily in the ones in the commercial gyms that I've been in. I mean, they're there. You can see them and some people do use them. um, But I see them as pretty much sitting in a corner collecting dust for the most part. Um, I just don't think that most people gravitate towards them naturally as something very attractive, not like like a bench press machine or something like that. It's just I think it really does have kind of like a PR problem. A hundred percent does. And we realized that also starting the company. So, you know, one of our things was we don't try to sell people kettlebells because mm-hmm. they don't want to just like a random person's not walking down the street and sees a kettlebell and says, I want to go home with that. Like that just, right, exactly. it's, too, it's too intimidating. It's heavy. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a serious purchase to, to the average consumer um, and the average, you know, fitness person, whoever's trying to, you know, get in shape. So we would take the approach of educating the entire way. So, you know, our funnels might be six months, nine months, even at times, just continuous workouts and people doing different activities with kettlebells. So you get used to seeing people use it and, um, you know, it becomes a more playful device than something that's, like you say, sitting in the corner, a heavy piece of iron that I don't want to hurt myself with. That's how most people usually associate it at first. And once you kind of break that stigma, it it becomes like their best friend because you start realizing like the majority of your day when you're picking things up, it's more like picking up a kettlebell than it is Mm -hmm. like laying down doing a bench press. So you're going to see more immediate functional fitness translation to, you know, you being able to physically do things, especially if you're uh, the type of person that doesn't work out on a regular basis or just getting back into it, it, it just translates so well to the functional side of uh, getting through your normal day. Yeah, I agree. And um, like, I mean, like I said before, it's just like, and I think that some have made it, some, some companies have made attempts to make it more attractive. Like yeah. um, they, they've, you know, put rubber insulative around it like they do with uh, dumbbells and stuff like that and they cut it, make it different colors just wherever they can to kind of jazz it up a little bit and um it's uh the reason why i bring it up you know i know the the inherent unattractiveness of a kettlebell it's just not something that really just draws you in unless you already kind of know something about it um because I, I've, with my own experience, my clients, I bring in kettlebells and something like that. And they just kind of look at it. Like, I just, I don't know, like I, 
brought out a snake in front of them or something like that. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's very, it, you know, it's just, I like you, that one. you don't really, you don't really appreciate it um, very much though, but uh, it's just like, it, it's oddly intimidating to somebody because it's like a big, heavy ball with a handle. That's, and I guess if, if you're in the fitness space enough, you don't really think too much about it, but someone who's brand in, new to it, and like I told you before we start broadcasting, we mostly speak to an older crowd here and, yeah. you know, they don't really do kettlebells and then kettlebells are not been really exposed to them very much. And so you bring in something like this, that looks like uh, something completely medieval. It's uh, <laughs> you got to get some pushback on it. So that's why I kind of bring up, I'm trying to get you to elaborate a little bit all about why it's actually functioning and why it actually does you some good. And that it won't inherently hurt you just because you pick it up. Yeah, no. And I think that's the, the benefit of it is that it, it is somewhat intimidating. Mm-hmm. And once you, once you kind of conquer that, it is in, it's more empowering. And I think it's just like anything else when you mm-hmm. when you are now doing things that you you know previously were intimidated by. You know, you actually are a better person. You're actually a, you know physically and mentally have kind of passed something that, that was previously an obstacle to you. So right. we've helped you know thousands, if not millions, of people um, through that journey, and especially for the elderly, you know, people who are just really looking to maintain functional fitness throughout their lives like there's no better tool than the kettlebell if you're talking about a singular tool that can give you the maximum amount of efficiency for a workout um obviously you can supplement that in with other things and but a kettlebell is one of the only things that you can genuinely recommend and say you know you can get a full body workout just using this tool that'll that actually be applicable to your functional fitness on a regular basis so in 2019, you kind of did a, a pivot. You moved. Uh, you started a new company um, called Life Grows Green. So it's a hemp-based company here, and uh, you have the. You said you wanted to uh, kind of reverse negative stereotypes when it comes to the hemp business here. Um, I guess my one question is: What is the negative stereotypes? And two, uh, how how's your company kind of combat that? Sure. I mean, I think. Um, through my journey with kettlebell kings and living fit, I was able to touch on so many different things in the health and wellness space and fitness space. But I really wasn't able to touch on, let's say, products that come from natural sources and um, mm-hmm. lifestyle products that we have options to have a natural choice or natural option. And instead, we use some, you know, commercial plastic or um, some pharmaceutical solution. When there are alternatives, whether that's through hemp-based supplements and things like that, or through just general lifestyle products like your your bedding and you know the the cups and plates and things like that that you're using on a regular basis. So, life grows green is is really around me building a community of people that want to support the idea of a natural product being better than a commercial or a pharmaceutical solution, um, and that's really can can be any lifestyle product. When I look at hemp, I think that's just probably the plant that's gotten the most stigma put on it by, you know, ignorance, the government, whatever kind of um, reasons you want to associate with it, it. It has been targeted as something that has been anti-good or anti, uh, uh, let's say, anti-fitness when actually it's a more natural solution for most people's problems than the current solutions that they're using, like the, like I say, like pharmaceuticals or um, even even some of the supplements and things like that people are taking can can be used as naturally as possible versus just using some processed or 
commercial process. Uh, so what are some of the things that hemp can um, help with that pharmaceuticals just really don't? So, I mean, if you're talking about like, you know, CBD, obviously there are tons mm -hmm. and tons of different ways that CBD can help you. So that was one of the, the product lineups that we want to come out with initially. And we have, you know, everything from capsules to uh, different salves and creams and topicals and things like that. But then, you you know, you can go as far as the different protein powders. You can um, you can supplement different parts of uh, whatever plant-based products that you're taking. Hemp can do the same basic, basic thing. So there's so many products that can be made from hemp. It's almost no real limit to it. It's more of a, how do you want us to make it? And so when I started going down into this journey, if I wanted to have, let's say, 100 hemp products, I could. It's just a matter of which of those products are going to be most beneficial to a community of people. And that's really what I'm trying to build out right now is that full product lineup of not just hemp based products, but all natural lifestyle products. So for now, I have that as an offering, but that's not how I see the entire company. I see that as uh, one part or a wing of the entire operation, trying to build out as many natural lifestyle products as I can. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, all right. So uh, all of this kind of leads up to the kind of the biggest item here, which is the book um, preparing for preparing for battle here. So preparing for battle, I mean, that's kind of like that. That's a, an aggressive title there. And so it kind of gives us a little, uh, I think, some insight into how you see um, how business actually works. Um, now, combi combining like all your experiences, like being an athlete and being a, an entrepreneur and uh, kind of really being a one man band in a lot of ways. And that kind of culminates into this book, Preparing for Battle. Um, so I guess one, tell us how the tell us how the book plays out. What's what we can look forward to in the book, um, without maybe giving away too much of it. And what made you decide to write this book? Sure. Well, I mean, I always wanted to write a book. Uh, you know, uh, before I started my companies, I just you know I felt like, what would I write a book about? What what would I be uh, right. trying to put on paper for someone else to absorb? And with the culmination or the sale of the company really in 2021, at the end of 2021, right at the beginning of 2022, we started a three-year acquisition deal. Um, so we basically came to a 10-year kind of end of one chapter, opening another chapter of that journey. And I just thought that was the perfect time for me to try to culminate all the lessons that I've learned and, and put some, some real thought into, you know, what helped me get here and what things did I have to overcome or, you know, how could I potentially overcome those things faster? And going through that process, I realized how much, you know, sports played a role in helping me through this journey. And it still plays a large role in the the way I see business and how I build teams and things like that. So I try to talk about that in the book and how I have taken my experiences and, and kind of customized a path that complements the experiences I've had and, and gives me the best chance for success. And I think I was able to do that most successfully with Kettlebell Kings, but I think I've also been able to do that with some of the other companies that I've, I've started as well. And, um, you know, I, I'm really trying to help someone else figure out what that path looks like for them. So in the book, I start with my journey uh, in the first chapter. You know, it's three parts to the book. Uh, my journey, we get into the 10 building blocks of business, and that's me just breaking down general business concepts into 10 building blocks. 
and then it'll finish with a workbook that allows you to kind of map out um, what your vision would look like for whatever company that is and then how you can kind of overlay those experiences that you've had to help you you know build a better team or uh, basically achieve whatever initiatives you have so again characterizing it as battle which means that there's going to be there's going to be some victories but there's also going to be some um some defeats as well or at least some some moments where you're going to be kind of stopped cold in your tracks um so i guess Kind of take us through what what are some of the uh, kind of the setbacks that you've had in your own personal journey as you've been through several companies and now you've also written a book too, which can be, you know, a hellish journey in itself. Um, just getting a book published and writing it and getting it the way you want it. So tell us what some of the ups and downs have been on that journey for for you. I mean, yes, so many. Um, you know, I talk about some of these stories in the book, but you know, for with Kettlebell Kings, for you know, for example, we weren't we didn't pay ourselves for the first five years in the company, which you know, I tell everyone I do not recommend that at all, and you know, that's a that's a hard road to walk, uh, especially when you are quote unquote successful and you're seeing the company grow and you're still just not able to. So, um, you know, I talk about some of those types of things and how you know, like bringing in financing options earlier probably would have been a better idea. Um, you know, uh, trying to really understand where we, when you reach a point of success, when you should hand that off to, you know, an employee or when you should, you know, hire a vendor to take over tasks and things like that. It's all uh, very circumstantial, but it's super important in the kind of in the, the long-term journey and how much time you spend in which part of the company. And so, uh, it, it really is no kind of one one way to do it. And mm-hmm. I think I try to tell people that this is the way we did it. These are the, some of the ways I think we could have done it better. But ultimately, when you have that vision and you know where you're trying to go, if it takes 10 years or eight years, like I, I don't think you'll really regret those two years extra that it took you if, you if you continued on that path. I think it could just be sometimes maybe a little more efficient. Um, but as long as you're getting better every day, you know, that's mm-hmm. what, you know, that's really how I try to look at it. And I think that's comes from my sports background is even if we don't win the championship this year, if we know we gave everything we had and we got, you know, two games away next year, we're getting to the championship. Like that's, that's kind of the mindset that I take towards it. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I like reading books like, like yours quite a bit and I have, and I've got, I bought more ever, um, over the years and, you know, I, n- I never really look at books like this as being recipes necessarily for success. Um, I look at it as being really like, well, here's someone in a similar situation to me, and they clearly got successful, and this helps me relate to them, um, or helps me to, or at least it, it, you know, it energizes me, you know, into thinking that I could actually pull this off too. And maybe not like you said in the exact same way you did, like like you know with your nail salon idea. That may not work for me where I'm at, uh, just because my circumstances are different. But that was a pretty um, a pretty great way to create cash flow to fund something else, or at least keep myself afloat. Right. Yeah. So that was the idea. Like I said earlier, that was a pretty neat idea here. And I had never thought about something like that. You know, nail salons just don't ever come to mind for me because <laughs> they, cause they it, just it, don't. It, you know, I don't it, I don't. It, 
Yeah. I never I never been in one before I started one. So yeah, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, I don't and like I don't have a girlfriend who's yeah. into creative ideas and it's just a different kind of thing. But uh that's why I look at books like this is like, you know, this helps me connect to another person. And this is, you know, or any other kind of biography that you might read. I mean, you read a book on Ben Franklin. Obviously, your life is nothing like Ben Franklin's, but, you know, it humanizes yeah. it, right? It humanizes the whole journey here. And that's how I kind of look at it. And it, was that was that really the, uh, was that the intention behind the book here? Is just kind of like, um, be a, just galvanize someone into, with a personal story? For sure. I mean, and, and like you said, I like the, the, the way you framed it with, you know, it's not a recipe for success. And I don't think any book is going to give you a recipe for success. I think right. maybe that that worked, you know, 50 years ago and prior to that. But like since the Internet age, if you're reading a book about my success 10 years ago and the things I did, like it's not going to work today. Like Facebook mm-hmm. ads were not as hard in 2012 as they are right, right. now. So. You know, there's going to be a circumstances that change, but I think the lessons in preparing yourself for that battle is what I'm really trying to get across is that you're going to have to kind of go into uncharted territory. There, No one has, you know, in the the land of AI that we live in now, how do you create a business? There, There's no perfect way to do it. There's no, you know, strict recipe that you go by to do that. And I think that is part of what makes entrepreneurship entrepreneurship is the unknown. And, you know, someone's going to win, someone's going to lose, someone's going to figure out how to make it work and connect with customers and someone's not. Um, and to me, that's a battle every day. And mm-hmm. I see the winners and the losers going after these customers. And that's how I look at it every single day is, you know, I'm trying to galvanize a community. I'm trying to, uh, you know, assemble uh, as many people as I can together behind me to to move forward with my initiatives. And if that initiative is kettlebells, then hey, let's you know let's dive into that every single second that we can and really try to be the best you know leaders and kind of thought leaders in that space that we can be as a brand. And mm-hmm. that's what I think all brands should be trying to achieve in general. And, and if not, I think you know you should kind of get out of the way so so a better brand can exist, basically. I think that's uh, important to uh, kind of elaborate on too, because we're go- again we're talking about your sense of mentality here and where your mind is at, and as opposed with business as opposed as as with fitness, you know there's a lot of wins and there's a lot of setbacks and a lot of you know kind of stalling in place at time hitting plateaus is what you call it in fitness here, but the bottom line is is if really just kind of being your, being your own person here and kind of really experimenting with what works versus what does not work. And, and if you stick, I think if you stick with that long enough, if you stay in that experimental frame of mind here, I think eventually at some point you're going to break through. Do you agree? A hundred percent. And, you know, one of the things that I was fortunate when I started this with my partners is we, we didn't really agree on a product. We agreed on kind of the philosophy of what, this type of company has to do and we see it as a kind of a living breathing organism that has to grow and mature and you know it it, it has to get better at every single kind of aspect of itself uh, on a continuous basis so there's no such thing as not kind of measuring and improving uh, and I think a lot of that's because we wanted to be a virtual experience and you know we do live in the world where we can collect the data and we can see how well it's doing and we can improve on it and so my sports background just allows me to kind of look at the world like that. I almost, uh, you know, I, I 
compared to watching film and football. There's there's no such thing as not watching the day's practice before. It's almost it's almost like it's useless to practice if you don't get to watch it. So mm-hmm. I always go back and I'm looking at it and saying, okay, well, how could we have done this a little bit better? What changes are we making? You know, six months from now, a year from now, it's like just a never-ending improvement process. And when that becomes part of the company's SOPs, it's like I say, it's just a matter of time before you get to you know, this level that it's very hard for other companies to reach because, you know, it's literally years in the making and you, mm-hmm. you don't just get there uh, overnight. Right, right, right. So I, I like that, what you said earlier, what you said just about a minute ago, it's like you didn't really have a product design in mind per se. You had a philosophy. You had uh, a belief and a mission. So with that in mind, whether it's business or fitness here, it's like, don't be dogmatic necessarily about what about the means in which you get to your goal, like set a mission and then form your uh, ideas and your game plan around that mission. And everything kind of comes together that way. Yeah, exactly. About right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, and that's like I say, that that's what I learned in, in sports. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about in the book, my uh, we had a new coach coming to my high school when I was 16 and we were good before that, but we won this, we won the state championship um, that year when he came. And then the next year we went back to the state championship and lost it. But there was a clear difference between the mentality of the team, the mentality of the organization, the coaches, the, the staff, it was a clear difference between when he came and before he came. I'm not saying that the coach that was there before him wasn't a good coach. It was just a different culture. Um, and that's really what I try to establish more than anything else. And I think that's what a brand can establish is you can create that culture of success and improvement where it, it's a never ending kind of place to go and improve. And that's what I try to create with any brand that I'm doing is a place where when people come here, they can kind of set down whatever is kind of ailing them or worrying them. And everybody can just be about this one thing. So with Kettlebell Kings, it was like, it doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, you know, Muslim, Christian, does not matter. Like, we are here because we are kettlebell enthusiasts, and this is the kettlebell place. And someone kind of has to keep that focus and design a system in which everyone is able to just kind of live and breathe in that for, even if it's just momentarily. And I think that's that's what I'm always trying to create is that that place where people can go and just get the maximum out of that one thing for a limited period of time and then go back to their lives and, and, and do whatever else they want to do. What creates a culture in your opinion? It's kind of a mm-hmm. big word. You hear it a lot. You know, everyone wants to create, every entrepreneur wants to create a culture. Some cultures have a notorious or some companies have a notorious culture like uh, Apple. Apple definitely has a, has a culture uh, and it's pretty easily uh, identified. Um, but what creates a culture in your opinion? I mean, I think it starts with, the, you know, with the, with the leaders of the company. I think you, you establish that culture by the choices you make and the things you enforce and the things you reward. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things is, you know, some people might say, well, you, Chad, you're really intense about kettlebells. And it's like, yeah, I am. You know, I, I got, I'm very intense about kettlebells. So now that you know that if you can't get over that, then, you know, maybe this isn't, isn't the place for you. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it, 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 that's kind of stuff that does create a culture is that you have to, someone has to treat things as important. You know, someone has to care. Uh, someone has to do the little things. Someone has to, you know, clean up when no one wants to clean up. You know, uh, I talk about in the book, one of the, one of the, the biggest things that happened for us in a good way was 
our employee didn't show up one time for Black Friday. And, you know, I, my partner and I had planned this out so that we could, you know, spend time with our families. And, you know, it's the holidays, holiday weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. And instead it was, you know, 12 hours of us packing kettlebells all weekend for four days straight. And that kind of stuff galvanizes you. It makes the culture, it, it, you know, it, it makes things more important. And I think diving into those kind of difficult times is, is something that is comes more natural to me because of sports. And, uh, you know, I almost can't wait till we get to a point like that. So everybody can be more serious about, you know, what we're doing here. And, and I mm. think that's, that, that kind of stuff is the opportunities that you have to take, kind of take advantage of to really create a, a long-term culture that, that people believe in. So as a business owner and you, as a business, as a business owner and a published author here, um, you just spoke about you know what you had anticipated uh, doing with your family over Thanksgiving, but then something got thrown in the way, and then that went out the window. Um, did did you have have you ever found any balance between family and business and success? I mean, we talked that you hear that too. Is, is, is does such thing ever exist? I mean, I, I like that conversation. Um, I, I think that is, I think that unless you find what you want to do and what your goals are, then you will be searching for balance. But when you know what your goals are, there, it's like, it's not really balance. It's more like, uh, I have fun when I'm working on my goals. Like that is, that is my balance. So mm -hmm. for me to go and do something that's not working on my goals is, that is more detrimental to my emotional health and my well-being than probably anything else. And, uh, you know, I think it's just having kind of that self-awareness to realize that, does that mean that I don't get overworked? Like, absolutely not. I get overworked and stressed. And, you know, mm -hmm. if someone says, hey, Chad, you need to take a break, then maybe I do take a break. But I don't, I'm, I'm not going into business because I want to have this 50-50 life of, you know, pleasure or leisure in, in, in business. Like that's not, that's not the, the target for me. So the target is for me to get to my goal and I'm more happy on that path than I am doing anything else. And that's how I look at kind of work like balance. So when you got to that goal, when you did get to that goal, are you then satisfied or is it just like, what's the next thing? It's always, what's the next thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, it, it's, it's crazy because I already know what the next thing is before I even get uh -huh. to that goal. And it's like, Lord, if I can get, as soon as I get here, then I can finally put everything I want into this. And, and it's just, it, to me, it's, I like living, you know, life with some type of intention and some type of target when, you know, a lot of times when I have a target, life becomes a lot easier. Uh, mm -hmm. when, you know, when I, when I know what I need to do or where I have to go, it's just a matter of, like I say, kind of chipping at, chipping away at it on a day to day basis. And eventually you get there. Um, but you know, I, I don't think it's one way to do any of this. You know, I, I think that what I will spend, you know, if I spend 12 hours and you spend 10 hours, I don't think that means that I'm out working you. I think you can get, someone could be more efficient than me with their 10 hours than I am with my 12 hours. So, you know, I don't look at it like I am uh, trying to like add these things up and make them completely math out. I, you know, I look at it like I, I want to achieve my goal when I wake up every day, how can I make myself a little bit more prepared to take on whatever, you know, I have to do. So I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be uh, something that's more difficult than what most people are willing to go through. So, you know, I, I just accept that as part of it. It's, it's part of the process. Embrace the suck, in other words. 
I mean, you have to, I mean, I tell everyone, like you think, you know, starting a multi-million dollar business is going to be the easiest thing you've ever done or the hardest thing, you know, it's like, you have to really think about that before you start it. If you don't expect it to be hard then everyone would already have it. And I think grasping that concept that it is going to be hard, but you can still achieve it is something that sports teaches you early. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of people, if you haven't had that, those experiences, you know, I think you get hit in the face pretty hard starting your own business just because every day can be a battle. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily know when you'll get this quote unquote win that you're looking for. Okay. So how would somebody, um, develop that type of mindset, you know, say a bit later in their life when they're in their thirties or their forties or something like that, if say that they don't have like a, a sports background, because I think when you come into a competitive market, which is what entrepreneurialism is, um, and you come from a background of playing sports all the time and organization and grit, and you know, you just have you have a frame of a, a frame of context in which to um, translate that into the the world of business. And I've seen that many times too. Like the most successful people tend to be ex athletes because they're just so competitive. Um, now, how how would one develop that if they didn't have that type of background? Is there some sort of way they could kind of hack that? For sure. I think, um, you know, I think you can get these experiences in business as well by, you know, working for other people and putting mm-hmm. yourself in those roles of those difficult roles, you know. So, uh, you know, I tell everybody like a, a, a sales role will teach you a lot. It will it'll toughen you up really mm-hmm. quickly. Um and I think everyone should go through some type of sales role, sales training, because it gives you a, an understanding of the market and an understanding of how difficult it is to convince someone to do something. Even someone who is wanting that product is hard to convince to do it, you know, on a whim or when you say so. So understanding the, I think the psychological part of that is as well. And you then having the emotional intelligence to be able to hear and know you know, 99 times and still be happy with the yes or, or really be mute to all of it. You know, I think that's a big part of it. So I encourage people to, you know, get a sales role, get difficult roles in other companies that, that challenge you and like, you know, literally prepare you for that, that, that bigger jump to complete leadership where now you're in charge of everything, you know, you're in charge of every single aspect of the company. Um, You know, I think some people kind of skip that part of it and I've never looked at it like that, you know, I think one of the the quotes that I had was, I try to use every job I had like a paid scholarship. It's, you know, it's a learning process. I'm literally, I'm getting paid to learn how I'm going to run whatever it is I'm going to run in the future. And that's how I look at sports. That's how I look at the jobs I've had. You know, I I knew I was going to kind of use these tools and use these experiences to to grow something bigger in the future. It's a good point there. Looking at every job you've ever had, no matter how uh, menial it might have been, as a kind of like a a learning experience. It's um, even if it's just like you know waiting tables or bussing tables exactly. or whatever else. You know, it teaches you, especially if you're naturally introverted. It teaches yeah. you to have to actually talk and communicate to people and people you don't know either. Uh, which you know, if you're introverted, as I am, that's intimidating. Um, but you know. It can teach, it can, it, it won't do wonders, but it will get your foot in the door um, and it will translate somewhat into sales. You know, I've been in sales too. It will make you or it will break you. It is rough. You know, <laughs> if you if you want to talk about hustle, yikes. 
you know. <laughs> and I, like you said, how do you how do you get these experiences? I think it's good to be broken through sales. I think it's good to get a yeah. sales job that breaks you and you quit because now you at least you learn. You know how difficult it is. That that's yeah. the that's the difficulty level. That's what you're talking about. That's what you're going against. The only question is, are you going to be more successful with your you know quote unquote product because you're the owner? But it's that level of difficulty. So I've had those jobs. I, I mean, I have quit my sales job because it was terrible. And mm-hmm. that helped me frame things better when I'm trying to think about, okay, how do I develop a, you know, a lead generation campaign that is actually going to be more successful than me going to knock on doors every day? And I think it's, it's, it's helpful to have those points of references. And when you don't know, uh, you know, I think sometimes you're a little naive about how difficult it's going to be. And when it actually hits you, you're, you're not, you're just not ready for it. You, you, know, you weren't prepared. Right. Right. Gotcha. And the thing about uh, hearing no is like a lot of people take it personally, even in jobs yeah. that don't have no real direct connection to sales. You know, if someone says no to them, they take it as like a personal attack. Like I'm rejecting you personally, not what you're yeah. trying to offer me, but I'm rejecting you. And that's really the wrong way of looking at it. That's, that's not what's happening at all. You know? So, uh, I I would tell, I would tell every single one of our employees and I I will always be the person like, who cares that he said, no, like move on. Like, what are we like? It's almost like, to me, it doesn't even matter that he's like, thank you for telling me no. So you don't waste my time anymore. And I think (laughs) developing that type of mentality is not, it's not natural. But I think it becomes natural when you're in business and you're dealing with customers on a regular basis and you're actually trying to make progress. You know everyone is not going to be along with your journey. Everyone is not going to just come and say, yes, I want that. And I think that's part of understanding what entrepreneurship is, is really developing that perspective so that you don't internalize and get demoralized every single time that you have to go through that. It can be demoralizing if you're taking it that way. I used to have to talk to my girlfriend when we first started the nail salon and it was emotional for her. I mean, we we went to therapy sessions and we went to to talk about how you can let yourself kind of be above that. You can see it happening, but it's not something that is personal to you. Like someone doesn't like the place. Okay, great. Like thank you for coming. Thank you for having a good time and you can move right. on with your life. And I think that's a that's that's difficult for some people. Exactly. There's one thing I did want to touch on earlier because you mentioned uh, in your book, you talk about financing and how that would have helped uh, kind of accelerate your growth early on if you had pursued that more than just kind of like bootstrapping. it. Um, now, financing, because you are a minority business owner, um, so financing might seem like it can be kind of a hard thing to come by just because of who you are. You know, you ask someone for financing, they look at you. And they know nothing about you. They just look at you and they're like, no. And they might give you some flimsy reason as to why they're saying no, but probably is based on appearances. I mean, I can, I can, you're looking at me right now. I can easily see how someone, if I walked into a bank, asked for financing and people saw me, I can see them saying, nah, not, that's not going to happen. Um, so how did you, uh, how did you, sec- or how would you secure financing? If you were like a minority business owner, well, I mean, I think it's you know it's one of those things where it is something that you just have to take in consideration. But mm-hmm. you, I think you 
that's the other thing I like about entrepreneurship is we navigate all these obstacles at once. You know, it's, it's that's how I look at it as a battle is, you know, that it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to try to figure out strategies to overcome whatever potential obstacles in your way. Um, for that particular case, I, you know, I think you have to kind of prove your way out. I don't, I don't think you can kind of shave or haircut your way through it. That, that might help. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think you have to kind of prove it through numbers. I think we live in a time now, especially where it's becoming a lot easier because we do have, uh, you know, kind of a digital trail that you can sell people on versus selling them you on, selling them on your personality and uh, your vision. Um, and I think that's what we could have done a better job of with Kettlebell Kings. You know, we could have developed uh, a package showing numbers that people couldn't deny. And then that would have gotten us something. You know, we we are we are already were in our kind of a, the king of, let's say, creating this digital story that people want to be a part of. And I, and I think we could have done the same thing with finance where you just create a digital story that somebody will bite on, even if 99% say no, you know, you get that 1% that says yes, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So, I mean, we got the book preparing for battle. You've done kettlebell Kings. You've got uh, life grows green. Um, what's next on your horizon? Uh, quite a few things. I'm, I mean, mm-hmm. I've been, uh, obviously right now I'm kind of torn talking about the book, doing podcasts and things like that. Um, I'm doing presentations, you know, I've been doing, uh, presentations and workshops and, and speaking about using sports concepts and kind of using, um, your experiences to build online communities and brands. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm really kind of just doing a lot right now in terms of, what the next chapter of my life looks like. I'll be doing consulting, executive coaching, uh, you name it. So uh, quite quite a few things in the pipeline. But I think um, more importantly right now, I'm just really trying to figure out what where my main resources are going to be kind of going and what the, the, you know, the quote unquote next chapter for me looks like. I know I have kind of a lot of uh, rods in the fire, but I really want to figure out kind of which is the the most passionate one for me right now. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on. So where can people find the book preparing for battle? Uh, you can find it on Amazon. It's for sale on Amazon. Uh, and then you can also on my website, chatprice.com. Uh, and then, you know, you can find links to it on my social channels at real chat price or just chat price. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Chad, we have a closing tradition on the podcast where the, guest gives the final word to the audience here because you know we, we kind of jump around topics a lot uh, we, we speak a lot on different things here but people you know they really only retain very a, a small percentage of everything that's talked about in the podcast that goes on for nearly an hour so if you could leave people with one thing to remember if one thing only what would you say it would be you know if we're talking about entrepreneurship I would say you know it's I would say don't be scared to try um, you know, I think having a strategic plan to try things is part of entrepreneurship, not being scared to lose. You know, I know a lot of people think about, well, you know, I don't want to lose $10,000. Um, I think it's worth losing that $10,000 to know that you can or can't do something, uh, versus you kind of sitting there with the indecisions and that kind of, uh, that, that, that that cloud over your head for you know for the remainder of your life so if you have the ability to kind of put some some money or resources aside and actually attempt to do something i I would say as long as you're being strategic about it and trying your hardest don't be scared to try right regret is so much worse than loss 
It's not even close. Yeah, it's not, yeah. not even close. It's horrible. It's a horrible idea. The idea of you being on your deathbed and thinking about all the things that you should have done or could have done. I, it scares me. So. <laughs> it scares me so much that I will fail every single day of my life versus not do that. So, uh, yeah, that, and that's what I mean. I think I think there are so many people out there, especially if you're talking about, you know, 30s and 40s, that you have great ideas and you don't know how to get started. Uh, there's no there's no right way to do it. It's, it's a strategic plan that you create and, and you get started. And if you want to do that, you just have to choose the time and, and go for it. Just fire. Take your shot. All right. Well, Chad Price, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your conversation. Thank you for having me. It was very nice meeting you. Nice to meet you as well. And everyone's listening. This is the Fitness Reborn podcast. I'll put all the uh, links to Chad and his book and his website into the show notes. If you listen to this podcast enough, you know you you know to look for that stuff. Is uh, it'll all be there. But thank you again for listening, and to everyone who ever will listen, move forever. I'll see you next time. Peace.